I never, hey, there we go. I never quite always know which way it is. Barry has a thing, right, what is it, your little saying for the microphone? Right on, left off, that's our Barry, but I still don't quite get it. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to church. It is going to be, um, you know, it's a wonderful thing what we do as pastors. It's not always easy. Uh, it can be tough what we do at times, but I'll tell you something, there is nothing like seeing the family that is the church getting bigger and seeing people come into a, a relationship with Jesus and knowing him. And that's what today's all about. Barry, could you pass me my water bottle just there from next to you? I didn't bring it up when I came. Thank you. Have you ever noticed that some people, they just seem to have it all together? That they never seem to have any problems. They just, need to, they just seem to be strong. They just, no matter what comes their way, they just manage to seem to walk through it. And you're kind of like, why life is so different? And sometimes it's easy to think, isn't it, that they're the elite few that, that have it that way, that oh, there's something about them that I don't have. Has anybody else ever felt that way? I know I felt like that way. I've looked at people and I've just been like, how on earth do they end up being so strong through every situation? And you know something? Many years ago, I learned the secret. Because there is a secret to it. It's not about the elite few. It's about there's a secret to it. But how many know that God's heart is for you to discover the secrets for yourself. How many of you know that God, they're not a secret in the way of he's hidden them. The answers are always in the book. They're always in the word of God. They're always there for us to find. It's just that we need to be proactive in finding it and engaging with the word and engaging with God. So as much as I say it's a secret, it's not something that God has hidden that only a few can have. There is a secret to it that needs to be applied to our lives. And I learned that many years ago. But when I say many years ago, I also to feel ancient. It does, many years ago. But I discovered this, but through going through so much where the slightest thing would knock me out the game. The slightest thing would make me start thinking about this way. And it wouldn't be like this and it wouldn't be like that. And I'd be unstable. And who knows, the Bible says an unstable... A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so I'd be double-minded. I'd be thinking up, a, well, if it was this and if it was that and they've got this and I've not got this. And I was all over the place. But I looked at other people and they weren't that way. And I, I did. I spent time thinking, well, they've obviously got something better than me. It must be in their DNA. They're like that because it's in their DNA. But do you remember when I said a few weeks ago, the moment we accepted Jesus, our DNA changed and it became in line with him and his ways and the word of God. And so when we, as a, a family of Christians and those that believe in different character traits, but our DNA, once we gave our hearts to Jesus, we became the same and the word of God opened up to us like, like it opens up to anybody else who has the faith to believe and take and apply what's in it. So I went on this journey of wondering what on earth it was that these people had that I didn't have. I wanted to be like them, but I didn't know how. So by the end of today's message, you're going to understand and know that it is possible and how you do it. Because it's all in the Bible. 
It's not my intelligence that's going to tell you about it. I'm not going to create some concoction of things that you need to do. Because if I do that and you apply it to your... The only thing that will last forever is the word of God and the ways of God. And so you're going to learn today and understand by the end of it how it's possible to live this way. You know, we all love someone else's story. Why do you think magazines like Hello and OK, I don't even know whether they're still in pub, pub, publicity, publication, that's the word. You know, when it's coming out your mouth, you think, that doesn't sound right, does it? I don't even know whether they're there. But you know, when you go to the dentist and you're like, women's owns on the table or, you know, men's health and all that kind of thing. People love a story. That's why they sell so much. We all love a story and the Bible is littered of people who had difficulties and overcame. Let me say that again, difficulties and overcame. It's littered with people who sinned and got things wrong, but were redeemed. It's littered full of people who really messed things up when they were known as a man after God's own heart, but repented and was right with God, and God used them. So where better place to go rather than men's help and women's own if you want a story of someone's life than the Bible? People will say to me, who's your favorite Bible character? Honestly, I have so many. They're all so different, but I have so many. Because I'm, I'm a woman, obviously, I don't just like all the women. In fact, well, you know, and, but it's like men don't have to like men and women don't have to like women Bible characters. There is something in all of them because they're following God. Now, this morning, I'm going to speak about she is one of my favorites. And I'm probably, Barry will know now, and we've not even talked about probably who I'm going to speak about. I've not spoke about her for many years. But honestly, this woman is incredible. She is an amazing woman. The thing is that she doesn't have a name. She's known as the Shunammite woman or the woman from Shunem. Now, the place Shunem was a thoroughfare. You passed through it to get there, a bit like Warrington between Liverpool and Manchester, all right? So you just kind of pass through it. Well, no, Warrington from Manchester. You'll go kind of past Warrington one. So Shunem's like that. But this woman was the Shunemite woman, the woman from Shunem. So let's put it into context. This is like being called the Liverpool lady or the Manchester man, right? Bit, like, names matter, don't they? So, but this woman, she wasn't called anything in the word. She's just known as this. Here's another one for you, for you scousers out there. I, had to, I actually had to look at what this meant. The la from Liverpool. What's a la? A lad. The lad from Liverpool. The la from Liverpool. The missus from Manchester. The nan from Newcastle. And the granddad from Grimsby. All right? Could you in mastery book? And you're the granddad from Grimsby. Or the lad from Liverpool, sometimes when Barry refers to me, and so occasionally he'll have a blip and he does it quite regularly, my wife. Well, I'm like, well, I am your wife, but my name's Vicky. So when he does it regularly, sometimes I'll say to him, but you just call me by my name. This woman is in history known as the woman from Shunem. And sometimes she could be easily overlooked she was nameless, but to God she wasn't. She was a woman of great faith. She was a woman that breaks the mold of how we think things go wrong. So as soon as we all love a, a story, we're going to start by reading all about her life. 
Because you need to see where she's come from and where she ends up. And you will see she's one of these people that you, you would look at her and think, something about her. She's the elite for you. But actually, when you see what she is going through and how she puts things in place and how she structures her life, you will understand why the outcome is as it is. It's because of how it all began. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 to 17. It's actually titled, Elisha and the Shunammite Woman. One day, Elisha went on, he urged, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. Now, she obviously cooked well because he didn't just stop at the chippy down the road, Harry's chippy, everywhere has a Harry's chippy. Like I go to all different places and ever, you'll always pass a Harry's chippy, won't you? But this, this house is where, of all the other places he could have stayed, Elisha would stay at this house. The first time he arrived there, she urged him to eat. She took care of him. She'd obviously created something good for him, for him to keep returning. And she said to her husband, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. Again, call this Shunammite, like, call the Mancunian, isn't it? Or um, when he had called her, uh, she stood before him and he, said, and he said to him, sorry, say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king? Well, with my own people. And he said, in fact, I'm going to stop by. You're going to pass me glasses. I've not made the font big enough. Also, no, it's all right, lovely. It's all right. You can cook dinner when we get home. I was going to struggle through, and then I was like, you know what? We're amongst friends. And I'm at a certain age where I need glasses. There we go. I can read this to you now. So we've got this. The woman from Shunem. She creates food for Elisha the prophet as he passes through. He keeps returning because the food is so good. And then she says, this is a man of God. I'm going to create a place for him. She doesn't just create a tent. She doesn't just put a camp bed up. She puts walls up of God to stay. A room of substance, something that matters. And so he goes there and he sleeps and he says to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite in. And ask her, what can we do for you? Do you want me to go and speak and put a good word in with the king, with the commander's army? Is there anything like that? And she replies this. I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, at this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Point one, make room for the things of God. Be intentional and make room with something substantial for the things of God. The Shunammite woman who was nameless, 
She wasn't only nameless, she was living in sadness, she was living in loss, she was living in hopelessness, she was living in heartache, and although she carried that in her heart, she was intentional about making something of substance where the presence of God could dwell. You see, Elisha the prophet, she knew this man carried something. That would be like inviting God in, was like inviting Elisha into her home. And though she carried those things, though there was every reason why she could feel hard done to, Elisha didn't even realize because of how she presented herself of the great loss that she was feeling and the great heartache. He didn't even realize, and you can hear the anguish in her voice where she's like, don't promise me those things. It's like, I can't get my hopes up any longer. But Elisha said, no, this time next year. The first thing is make room for the things of God in your life, no matter what you carry. Whether you feel insignificant, whether like, well, they know my name, but they don't even care about my name because they don't even use my name. I'm so insignificant. I'm so worthless. You see, in that time, there was a stigma attached to this lady for not having a child as well. So there was all that going on. But in her sadness, in her loss, in her brokenness, she created a place of substance for the presence of God to dwell. And we need to do that in our lives. You need to be intentional about creating a place of substance. And when you say, well, what's a place of substance? I'm on about your place and your life without going all over the place when problems come and this place comes and you're in brokenness and you're in hopelessness. The place of substance is that in that presence... God, your presence. God, I am still going to create this space. God, I am still going to worship you. God, I'm still going to pray. God, I'm still going to read your word because I'm creating a place of substance and substance is where God's spirit lives. And in that place of substance, like when we talked about the circles the other week when I spoke, you've got to do some shifting around in your room. You've got to say, no, actually, this bit of furniture, that needs to go out because I'm creating a place of substance where the presence of God can dwell. Picking it up in verse 18, this, so this miracle child is about eight. He went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. That sounds like our house. If the kids are vomiting, carry them to the mother, he'd be saying. (laughs) And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. The miracle child then died. What was her response? We've already talked about the hopelessness and the loss and the brokenness in this woman. She creates this place of substance. She builds walls on her house. She brought it through Elisha. Her response now, she got her hopes up. She had the baby. Eight years later, he dies. Her response. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, the boy is dead. She said, it will be. She said, all is well. And the husband was probably 
thinking about work and just thought she's got it all under control. She d- he didn't even know his son had died. Then she saddled a donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Point two, what is your declaration? So when you created that place of substance for the presence of God to be, when you've created that place for you and God in that intimate place, then what happens when an attack comes on you, when a problem comes your way, when you feel like someone's had a go at you, what is your declaration in the moment? Then actually we leave the place. We leave the place. What is our declaration in the moment? Her response was to go after the man of God. The man of God was symbolic of God, of God himself, of God's presence. She was like, the place I need to be is with God. The place I need, what I need is the presence of God. I don't need all the women trailing through my house and telling me how terrible it is. I need the presence of God. I need Even to her husband, she said, all is well. Because she knew God. She didn't actually know what the outcome would be at the end over her son. But she had miracles. And she was going to go and she was going to get it and she was going to access it. And do you notice she says, do not slacken the pace of me unless I tell you to. No one can slacken the pace of your walk with God, only you. No one can slacken my pace of my relationship and walk with God, only me. Barry cannot slacken it. Even if Barry tried to slacken it, I have a choice that says no matter what, I'm going for the presence of God. No matter what, I'm keeping that place of some frame of mind and response came from making room for him to what do I do in my crisis. When trouble hits, when trauma hits, What do I do? Number two was, what is your declaration? Number three, verse 26, when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you, with your husband and with your child? He only mentioned those three things because that was her life. Her life was a self, it was a husband and it was a child. But you think that's, but that was all that was of value to her. When she came to the mountain, is it all well with your child? And she answered, all is well or everything is fine. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. He's the servant. But the man of God, Elisha said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave without you. I will not leave without you. So Elisha arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Don't settle for anything less than God. 
Don't let anything come into that sacred that will defile what you have with God and it will try and replace it and your focus that was once on God will be turned slightly and you will be looking at something else. She knew all she needed was God and she was not going to settle for anything else. She said, as surely as I live, as surely as you live, I'm not going without you. Because she knew she needed God, that nothing else was going to help. She was immovable. She was not going to move. And you know, there's been times for me where I've been in a situation and I've been praying or I've been sat in worship and I've been heartbroken. I've been heartbroken. I haven't felt like I've had an answer. I haven't felt like I'm leaving with the forever thing because I knew that the peace would come because he's a God of peace. And I sat there and I had to control my mind and I had to control my thoughts and everything that was going on around me because I was so heartbroken and traumatized at the time. And it was like, I am not leaving till your peace settles in my heart. I am not leaving. Don't settle for anything less than God. God will give you the best. He will give you a peace that the world cannot give. He will be your joy as well. He'll be your song in the night. I promise you he will. You know how I know? Because he's been my song in the night. Time and time and time again, when darkness has come all around me, but because I've kept that place of substance, because I've kept that room, that place that I've built walls for, and I've said, God, this is mine in your place. My life is a place of substance where your presence can dwell. And in that, I found a song when there shouldn't have even been a song. People would have told me, all is well. When Elisha, verse 32, when Elisha came into the house, he, so he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house. And he went up and stretched himself upon the child again. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Stay connected with God. Every step of the way through these points that I'm making, we can get to a certain point and then we can lose it. We can create the place. We can have a great declaration. We cannot settle for anything else. But then all of a sudden we can disconnect from God. Because we've only been able to get to a certain point, we feel. And then we need to take our control back. Stay connected to God. You see, that connection of Elisha and the boy, his eyes on his eyes and his mouth on his mouth and his nose on his nose and the stretching out over his body, that connection brought life. It was a life sort of life. It was an intimate moment in that room. It wasn't for everybody to see. That, that, went, that connection between Elisha and the boy, it wasn't for everybody. It wasn't for the crowd. It was an intimate moment where the presence of God dwelled that brought the dead back to life. And I want to say to some of you today, there's some areas in your life and it feels dead. But in the presence of God, the dead are raised to life. 
in the presence of God over your life that you haven't seen come to pass yet. I want to say to you that the process is the promise. We wait for the promise. We wait. Um, I, you know, God's told me I'm going to do this, or God's told me I'm going to be this, or God's told me I'm going to be that. And we feel like the promise is only there when that happens. But my experience is the process is the promise. The end result of what happens, yes, that's what God spoken, but here's the thing. Say, okay, God, you're going to refine me through this process. It's going to be tough. It might be stormy, but you're going to refine me. And what I have found is that then I have been ready for the outcome because actually part of the promise was the process. And you may feel like there are things dead in your life, but you need to connect again with God if you have disconnected. Maybe you haven't disconnected, but there is an area you know you've disconnected over and you just feel like you've lost faith in it. But God brings the dead back to life. He will breathe life, but it is important that connection is there for that little boy between him and Elisha was necessary. And he sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes and he came back to life. Stay connected. Just remembering all of this, the Shunammite woman had no guarantee the boy would come back to life. Let's not be people who are faithful to God because we know the outcome will be a good one. I can be guilty of that. It's easy when we know the outcome is going to be what it should be to be faithful to God. But actually, the example of this person's life here is somebody who was faithful to God and went after God's presence and wanted to dwell in God's presence and dwell in that place of substance with God, even though she didn't know it would end well, as everybody would think. She just knew God and she just knew the power of God and she just knew that whatever the ending is, it's still well with my soul because I know who to be God. People of faith and be faithful to God and faithful to spending time with him because we know we're on a winning streak. Because whatever the outcome, it will be well. It will be well. Verse 36, then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. You'd have thought by the end of the story, she might have been worthy of a name. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. She came, listen to this, before picking up her son. Before picking up her son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Remain thankful before she even she didn't pick up a kid and get off and tell everybody which would have been great because that would have been a miracle and speaking about the power of God before she ever did that she was thankful of the miracle and she gave honor where honor was due and she bowed at his feet and then she picked up her son and went out before she went anywhere She was thankful. She was thankful. Do you know this story? The very room she prepared for the man of God, the very room she prepared the place of substance for the presence of God to be, was the very place 
where the dead came back to life. It was about the room. It was about what she had created and what she had maintained that brought the dead back to life. Because how many people know that the maintenance is as as important as the creating of something? It's important as the creating of it because we can all create things. I bought a glue gun a few in lockdown last year. Anybody have any crazy, crazy buys in lockdown last year? Mine was a glue gun. The family laughed at me. Joshua said, Mom, after a week or so, we are never, ever going to see that glue gun ever again. We haven't. I've lost it. But here's the thing. I created some stuff and I left some of it half done. And I looked on top of the microwave the other day and I thought, that looks really shabby. That's like, that is my like trophy of my glue gun. This is it. Joshua was correct. But here's the thing. We can create things. We can have really good intentions. We can go out of this room today and we're like, that's it. And I need to make sure I have a prayer time. I need to make sure I read my Bible every day. Absolutely amazing. But if we don't maintain and preserve that place, if we don't give credit to that place, of God, if we don't love that place, if we don't, even when we don't feel like it, we force ourselves to be in that place because we know it's the right place to be. Even though when we're in darkness and we feel like everything's closing in, we know this is the place of light. This is the place of hope. This is the place of joy. The worship team want to come back. But she was intentional about what went in that room. You see, room, it said there was a bed in there. There was a table, there was a chair, and there was a lamp. It was actually listed what was in the room, and it was quite minimal. She put in the crucial parts of what was needed for that place for the presence of God to dwell. She didn't cram it. It doesn't say anywhere that every time Elisha came back, she'd added another ornament didn't say or when he came back she'd, she'd, she'd put on an extension because she decided she wanted to bring someone else into the room she was very intentional about what went in the room and what that place you and God like we talked the other week about you can go back on YouTube and you can see the diagram if you want to but that place that middle place that's the intimate place with you and God there isn't room for too much Because when there's too much, it starts to fill your mind of you and how you like things and how you want things. What matters to God to create that place, that intimate place? For me, it's worship. It's the word of God. Reading the Bible, if you've never read it before and you can only start with five minutes a day, it doesn't matter. So just sitting in that quiet place. What's in your room? Make room for God. Make the room for God. You know, if you're hurting today, hurt is okay in the room with God. If you allow God to take your hurt. When the Shunammite woman got to Elisha, he said to his servant, get your hands off of this woman is distressed. The feet of the man of God 
where she knew the presence of God was. She brought it and she bore a heart. So your hurt and what you're going through is okay in that place with God if you offload it to him and you let him deal with it. Don't feel like you have to have this place where you're perfect to be able to spend time in his presence. That's not what it's about. But it is about being honest before him and allowing him to do what he can do and going with him in the process. In that place, the room she created was where the miracle presence of God. She just created it because she just wanted the presence of God in her home to come. And actually, the end of it, in that very room, would be where the miracle happened. Where is his presence? Where his presence is, there is life, there is hope, there is peace, and there is a statement over the door of the room that says, all is well. All is well. Her faithfulness to pursue God over her own emotions made way for God to move. Because she'd already been intentional about making the room. She knew exactly what to do. What's in your room today? Amen.